It was a death trap. And he knew it. He knew it was coming. He knew who'd be waiting. He knew what tortures were in store. He knew how he'd die. He knew it all. In fact, he'd known it for ages. He'd even told his closest friends multiple times. But no one could talk him out of it. No one could change his mind. No one could stop him. He was going to walk right into his enemy's home turf and let them butcher him. But he wasn't psychotic. He wasn't insane or stupid. He was completely in control. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, why would Jesus do that? Today, we're looking at some of Luke chapter 23, which records Jesus' death. But way back in chapter 9, we've already been told that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, knowing that he'd be executed there. Now, why would he do that? We're told why by Christ himself, as he interacts with one of the last people he met before he died. As Bryson said, we've come to the last in our series on people Jesus met. And this morning, we're listening in to one of the last things Jesus said to one of the last people he met. And in just a couple of sentences, Jesus unlocks it all. That he deliberately went to his death so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. That's why Jesus deliberately went to the cross. And just before he dies, he meets a man who gets it. But before we get to him, we have to go through a whole swag of people who don't get it. So let's take a look. Our reading picks it up as Jesus is being led out of Jerusalem to be executed. You can see it there at the top of the inside of your bulletin. In uh, verse 32 is where we start. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, just before this, uh, Jesus has already been through so much. Uh, He's been beaten over and over with rods. His back is a shredded mess from the flogging. He's had a crown of thorns jammed into his skull. And now he's been laid out on a couple of planks of wood to have six-inch nails driven through his wrists and ankles, nailing him up like you do a picture on a wall. And it's at this point that Jesus now speaks. In his agony and humiliation, he utters a few carefully chosen words, words of remarkable love and compassion, taking us to the heart of why he died. He's just been crucified. And look at verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Seriously. (laughs) He prays for their forgiveness. When someone does something wrong against us, our usual first thoughts are ones of self-defense and justifying ourselves. And, you know, we replay in our minds what the other person did wrong to me and working out how that means that, you know, now I can treat them poorly because if they've done this to me, well... I can't just lie down and let them do that and get away with it. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. He literally laid down and let it happen. They crucified him and then Jesus prayed that God would forgive them. Because that's why he died. 
That's what his death is for, for the forgiveness of people's sins. And not just for the people there that day, but for you and me. For our sins, Jesus deliberately went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. But the people there that day, they didn't get it. They didn't realise who they were crucifying. They didn't get what was happening. But Luke, the guy who wrote all this down, he wants us to be crystal clear about what's happening. Luke wants us to understand that Jesus is far more than just an innocent man being unjustly executed. Now, if that's all he was, that'd be bad enough, wouldn't it? But what's going on here is far, far worse than that. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Christ isn't just isn't uh, Jesus' surname, you know, like you've got Joe Bloggs, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not like that. Christ is Jesus' title. So like Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister, Jesus, the Christ. Only to be the Christ is not to be the ruler of one nation, it's to be the ruler of all the nations. The Christ is the God, the one God promised who would come and save his people and bring them into his worldwide kingdom that would last forever. And Luke wants us to know that it's the Christ who's being executed this day. I'll read from verse 35, and as I do, look for how many times Luke records people calling Jesus the Christ or the King. It's exactly the same idea. Now, they do it to mock him because they don't get it, but at the point of Jesus' execution, Luke wants us to hear him being called the Christ, the King. Verse 35, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Four times he's called Christ or King. Three of those times he's mocked with the title, if you're the Christ, the King of the world, if that's you, then save yourself. They're taunting him because they just don't get it. Now, sure, Jesus didn't save himself, but he could have because he is the Christ. He has more power than we can begin to imagine. I mean, even in just the past few weeks, in those little snippets of Jesus' life we've been looking at, we've watched him heal a paralysed man with a word. He stopped a woman's 12-year bleeding problem just by her touching his cloak. He's even raised a little dead girl back to life, and we're just scratching the surface. Jesus can do anything. He could have stopped his execution any time he wanted to. He could have saved himself. But he didn't. Because as the Christ, he came to save others, to die for our sins. And so he deliberately hung there until he died. The crowds of people, the religious rulers, the soldiers, they don't get it. But there's one man who does. One man who sees Jesus for who he truly is. It's one of the criminals, 
crucified along with Jesus. Strangely, he's the one who does get it. I'll read from verse 39 and listen in as this man stands up for Jesus while he tells the other criminal off. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This other criminal, he knows he's guilty. He knows, he even says it himself, he's only getting what his deeds deserve. It's a moment of clarity for the man. But not just about himself. He also sees Jesus clearly, that he's done nothing wrong. He's not dying for his sins. But this criminal sees Jesus so clearly that he sees something no one else saw that day. He could see beyond Jesus' mutilated body. He could see beyond Jesus' gasps for breath. He could see that Jesus had power, extraordinary power, eternal power. And so he asked Jesus for the unbelievable. Two men about to die, humiliated in the extreme. And the criminal says to Jesus in verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The soldiers, the crowds, the Jewish leaders, they've all mocked Jesus for supposedly being the king. But this criminal believes it, that in this crucified Jesus beside him, he is with the king of the world who's about to come into his kingdom. And so outrageously, the criminal asks if he can have a place in Jesus' kingdom. And in typical surprising fashion, Jesus grants him his request. We might think that if this criminal's worthy of the death penalty, even by his own admission, then surely there's no way he could get to heaven. We might think that if Jesus is dying on a cross like this, then he's in no place to offer the guy anything. But Jesus overturns all those thoughts by saying some of the most beautiful words anyone could ever hear. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today... You will be with me in paradise. Now that's pretty big talk from a guy who's right now nailed to some planks of wood. Mere hours of death. Today you'll be with me in paradise, in my kingdom. It's pretty big talk. But just three days after this, it becomes really obvious that Jesus wasn't just talk. Because three days after he died, Jesus walked the walk. He literally walked out of his grave three days after he died and he came back to life because he's the Christ. He is so much the ruler of the world that when death came for Jesus, he only let it stay for a couple of days. And so now he lives forever. He's the all-powerful, all-conquering, death-defeating, life-giving king of the world. He is the Christ. And he's able to forgive us of all our sins. He's able to give us eternal life because he died to take our sins, to take our penalty. He died to take it all upon himself, to save us from it. I heard a story once of a man driving in his car with his daughter. 
and they had the windows down, enjoying the fresh air rushing in. Unfortunately, the breeze wasn't the only thing that came in the car that day. A bee buzzed into the car and began hovering close to the man's daughter. Now, bees are one of those scary insects. You know, no one likes being stung by a bee. The little girl, she was no different. She started panicking, screaming out to her dad to do something. Unfortunately, there's not a lot he could do, is there? I mean, he's driving the car. So he tried using words to reassure his daughter, saying things like, you know, it's okay, honey, stay calm, sit still. He won't sting you if... That was about as far as he got with his words before his daughter loudly interrupted with some more screams. Clearly, his daughter needed more than words. It was time for action. And so he did about the only thing he could do to save his daughter from the bee. He reached out and caught the bee in his hand and kept his hand closed over the bee until it stung him. He took the bee sting to save his daughter. Jesus, he took our sins. He took our penalty to save us. And just like the little girl in the car, she needed more than words from her dad. We need more than words from Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we've heard Jesus say several times things like, your sins are forgiven and I've come to save. Even today, we've got more words from Christ, you know, about being with him in paradise. But like the little girl in the car, we need more than words. We need Jesus to do the saving because we can't save ourselves. We, we can't take away our sins. We need Jesus to actually save us, to do what's necessary for our sins to be forgiven. And that's exactly what he does. Reaching out his hands, not to take a bee sting, but nails. And not to be stung, but to die. A dad will take a bee sting for his daughter because he loves her. How much more Jesus? By nature, we're his enemies. We're sinners. And yet still he went to the cross for us. We reject him. We ignore him. We disobey him. We mock him. We despise him, the Christ, the King, the all-powerful God with us. And yet it's him who dies. Him who takes our sin. Him who does it all to save us, to forgive us, to give us eternal life. Do you get it? Do you get this about Jesus? Maybe you've understood this about Jesus for a long time and you've long surrendered to Jesus and asked him to save you and rule you and it's marvellous, isn't it? But maybe you've got this about Jesus for a long time but you've never actually done anything about it. You've never admitted your sin to God and your need for forgiveness. And your need for him to give you eternal life. You've heard all this before, but really, for the first time, you're sitting there and you want to come clean with God. Maybe you're like some of the people we've met over the past few weeks. Are you like the prostitute who was overwhelmed by her sin? Your sins. They're like a millstone tied round your neck and you, you drag them with you wherever you go. I'm hoping that this morning you've got enough of a glimpse into the heart of God that even the very people who drove the nails into his limbs, he prayed for their forgiveness, arms outstretched wide to forgive you of your sins too. Or are you like Zacchaeus from last week? You've got money, 
You've got security. You look fine from the outside, but deep down you know you're lost without God. You've lived life without him and it's empty and hollow. You feel lost and you want to be found. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Or are you like Jairus, the guy whose daughter was dying? He was desperate because he was gripped by fear, the fear of death. Do you know that fear? Can you feel the claws of death reaching up to take you and it's scary? As death's shadow grows larger over your life, you wonder, will I be okay with God when it comes to it all? Jesus can take you to be with him in paradise. In your life right now, you might feel unwanted and unnoticed. But know this, God himself came to this earth for you. You might be busy trying to squeeze the the most out of this life, busy trying to get every last bit of enjoyment before you pass on. But know this, God himself came to this earth for you. Your life is not your own. This life is not all there is. You might think God's a bit of a bully. He's just a tyrant filled with ego and he just always wants things to go his way. But know this. God himself came to this earth and he lay down, stretched out his arms, was crucified to save us from our sin so that we could be forgiven and be with him in paradise. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then please check out the leaflets on the table. It's in the foyer as you head out of this room. Take whatever you want. But maybe right here, right now, you want to come clean with God this morning. You know you need forgiveness. And so you want to acknowledge your sin to God. And you want to ask him for forgiveness and for eternal life. Is that you? Then pray with me right now. In the quietness of your own mind, take my words and make them your own. I'll lead us in prayer. I'll leave a bit of a gap after each sentence I say so that you can say it yourself to God himself. Let's pray. Lord God, I am sorry for my sins. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I need forgiveness. Thank you that Jesus died for me, that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me. Please save me. Please change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. If for the first time you've prayed a prayer like that to God, God promises you that you are forgiven right now. And he's guaranteed you eternal life, 100%. And so today is the first day of the rest of your life. A life now lived with God, 
forgiven and at ease with him, free to live his way. And we would love to help you as you start out on this new life and as you keep going. That's what church is all about, helping each other to trust Christ and to live his way. So please tell someone that you prayed that prayer. Come and tell me uh, or tell a friend who's with you here this morning. Uh, There's nothing more significant that will happen in your life than this. So please make sure you share it with someone. We want to help you in whatever way we can.